evening, everyone. <clears throat> when Tony was talking about uh, the ark and how long that those people were preached to, uh, when anybody ever tells me that their denomination or their organization is right because they have large numbers, I bring to light that there weren't many on that ark. And the mass majority paid a very dear cost for not listening to God's word. Um, so to begin the message, uh, we need to turn to 2 Timothy 1.7. Um, I'm going to be a little risky tonight, and I'm going to ask for audience participation, not during the message. But when I'm done talking, I will tell you what question. I have a few questions for the audience tonight. Um, but the, the last question is what I would like some feedback um, from the audience one-on-one -on -one when we're closed off tonight because I don't really have a, a biblical answer for this question. I'm kind of exposing my ignorance in that particular area and perhaps one of you might be able to give me some insight. Um, and I'll let you know when we get to that point of the, of the service. It'll be right at the end. And there again, it, it'll be voluntary, of course, and it won't be um, an open forum. It will be a one-on-one. -on -one. If you have something that you would like to share with me, I would really, really like to hear it. Um, uh, Brother Raleigh, would you open us in prayer, please? Amen. Appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7. Uh, you might want to hold that spot after I get done reading because we're going to reference that verse a few times, many times, during the message. Um, and we'll begin reading in verse 7 of chapter 1, 2 Timothy. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So um, you don't need to turn there, but 1 John 4.18 says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. That is unbelievable truth. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And we're going to go through this message uh, for the most part, and we're going to kind of dissect that verse, and we're going to talk about fear separately, and then power, love, and a sound mind. So my first question for the audience for you to answer to yourself would be, if God has not given us the spirit of fear, 
then where does fear come from? It doesn't come from God, according to that verse. So the name of my, the title of my message is Don't Be Unaware. Christians should be aware of their surroundings. They should be aware of, of numerous things. Um, and too often I see Christians, they, they don't know much about the Bible. They're not really aware. And I, I really gravitate to those that have studied and maybe we can share a thought. Tony and I have done that a few times, and Brother Sean and I have done that a few times, and, and, and Brother John Zollers and I have done that once or twice, and I appreciate feedback. Yeah. But so many Christians, you really um, have a hard time discussing biblical things because they don't really have a response uh, to give you back. So if... God has not given us the spirit of fear. Where, where does that spirit of fear come from? Why, why do we fear? So um, 1 John 4, 4, we don't need to turn there for the sake of time, but it says, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, which I think is just awesome that we have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in in you than he that is in the world. So if we could turn to Psalm 118.6. I really never realized the impact of this verse until I kind of did this, did this study. Um, but I, I personally think it's awesome. And Psalm 118.6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? And that's a great question. Um, these are bold words, but they're not easy to live by, but they're possible through Christ. Oftentimes I see people caving into fear. When you're confronted or when you are challenged, I see a lot of people not standing up for what's right. They don't always have a biblical, biblical answer to give them back. But with the Lord being on my side and every born-again Christian, when we sing the song, I'm on the winning side, yeah. we can sing that with great confidence. So don't be unaware. What is the worst thing that could happen to a Christian? Most Christians would say death. That's the worst thing that could happen to me. But in 2 Corinthians 5.8, it says we are confident. I say in willing to be willing rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know there's no sorrow in heaven. There's no grieving. There's no pain. And yet we have these things on earth, and yet we seem to cling to this earth. Um, and I understand that because I like my life. I, 
I enjoy my family. I enjoy, I enjoy my church. So to me, it's all good. Um, but um, let's see. Let's turn to Philippians 1.21. Too often people, they, they, um, they cringe at death. They don't want to talk about death. And it's kind of morbid to some people, and I'm not a real morbid pe person. I'm kind of bubbly, outgoing, joking. Um, but there's very little that I don't joke about. And, and death is one of them I kind of joke about. Uh, depending on how well the person would receive it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to impose on somebody or have them feel very un uncomfortable. Uh, but in Philippians 1.21, it says, For me to live is Christ, but die is gain. And we're certainly not talking about suicidal actions. That's not what I'm talking about. Death is God's timing, not ours. And a Christian that's living has a great win because they have an opportunity to serve God longer. They have an opportunity to earn more of those crowns and rewards the Bible talks about. But it also says to die is gain. And when I was an eight, nine-year-old kid, any time I heard of somebody being in the hospital, I would say, I hope that person doesn't die. And people would say, don't talk like that. That's terrible. And I'm thinking to myself, as a kid, what did I say wrong? I'm thinking, and I wasn't raised in a real Christian home, a godly home, but not a Christian home if that makes any sense. We, we prayed over every meal. Um, we learned the, the Ten Commandments, but I didn't know anything about salvation until I was about 19 years old. So, um, It's, it's probably not a real popular subject to talk about, but I don't think we should cringe. And after I was corrected by different people when I would have my little phrase that I thought was comforting, um, I stopped saying it because so many people are offended. And, and so therefore I, I stopped saying it. Um, there are thousands of people that have been uh, martyred for the cause of Christ. And it's not what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to be martyred. Uh, but hopefully, if that situation arises, that I will have the courage through Christ to confront that. So my second question to the audience is, how will you face danger? There's more and more persecution uh, for Christians, there are more and more uh, hostile entities out there that they seem to uh, coddle, and yet Christians are kind of they're kind of under the thumb. They they kind of like to uh, 
point out the fundamentalists, like that's some kind of a bad thing. Um, but um, um, no, um, it's not a bad thing. And, and I'm not looking for any kind of uh, spiritual high to, to be martyred or anything like that, but there is a time coming. And I'm not sure how soon many people think that God could come back at any time. And when that happens, um, I believe the Christians will be gone. Um, but I don't know how much persecution we'll face before that. Um, it's been said that everybody wants to go to heaven. But nobody wants to die to go there. And outside of the death outside of a death, rapture, or a whirlwind that God sends down and takes you up whole, I don't know of any other way to go to heaven. Most people are going to die. And I think it's way more important to be ready for it as to hide yourself from it. Um, if we could go to 1 Samuel 17.22... It's a familiar verse, and we're going to kind of look at fear from the verse we read in the beginning in 2 Timothy 1.7. So I thought about David, and I thought about Goliath, and how fearful was he? Not only was this Philistine an enemy of the Jews, he was only nine and a half feet tall. And David was a lad. He was a, a youth. He was a, um, a shepherd boy, a, a nothing. And yet, as we read in these few verses, he had what it took. He didn't run I don't, it doesn't say he was afraid. I think, I'm sure he was. I would be. I mean, even though God was supporting him and God was um, with him, um, nine and a half feet tall is pretty tall. And the guy carried a sword and a spear. That was not real friendly either. So as we start off, <clears throat> as we start off in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, and David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came a, a champion, which if you'll notice, it doesn't say giant. It says a champion because the giants were taller than the champions. There came a, um, behold, there came up a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the enemy of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. They weren't just afraid. They were terrified. And I can't say I blame them. 
But how did they handle the fear is what I kind of wanted to look at. So here we have grown men of Israel, and they're all shaking in their boots. And then we read on to verse 28. And Eliab's anger, which is David's eldest brother, Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why comest thou hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride. little arrogance there, I would say. I know thy pride and naughtiness of thine heart. For, art, for thou art come down that thou might seest the battle. You just want to be a spectator. My first thought was that here is the older brother, the eldest brother, who could see the people, the men of Israel, shaking in their boots. And this young man comes down and he gets scolded. And he's being accused. You're just a spectator. What are you doing here? Get back, take care of those sheep. And David did come to see the battle, but he also came to win the battle. It's been said, don't take a knife to a gunfight. But David shows up with five stones, a sling, and God to a sword fight. I don't think I would bring a sling to a sword fight. But David did. But he had God, and that was the winning battle. And David said, what have I done? What have I now done? Is there not a cause? So my third question to the audience is, do God's people today have a cause? Serving Christ. Are we like Eliab? Um, who is underestimating of David, a lad, compared to grown men, and discouraging people, or are we encouragers? So as we read on in verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. How much confidence is that? There was no, I think, I hope. No, no. He said, he will. And he did. Down to verse 40. And he took the staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones, five smooth stones, out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even the script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. That's awesome. So we know the end of the story down in verse 50. David prevailed over the Philistine with rockets and grenades and tanks. No, 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 no. A sling and a stone. So when I read about fear, I read about David and how he handled fear. And I'm sure he was 
fearful. But he stood up to the fear and he faced it and he got God's deliverance and he won for the cause of Christ. As Israel was being mocked by the Philistines and Christ was being mocked and David said, We're not having this. Right. Here I am, and, and, and we're going to win. So to move on to our next point in uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, we're going to look at power. We don't need to turn there. But it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, because... We become the sons of God after John 3, 7, after we become born again. He gives us the power to become sons of God. Um, if we could turn to John 13, 34, we're going to look at the love aspect of 2 Timothy 1, 7. This is kind of a tough verse for me also. As we were discussing in the fellowship hall earlier, um, I'm not, not really known to be real tender-hearted. Um, my wife claims I don't even have a heart. Um, and that could be true. Um, Whenever I donate blood, I, I tell them, you may not find a pulse. My wife says, I don't have a heart. So love for me is um, a little tough. I'm, I'm pretty direct and, and sometimes kind of hard-hearted. Um, so this, this verse for me is pretty tough. So we are in John 13, 34, and it says, A new commandment I give unto you. That ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So a question I have to ask myself before I ask any of you is, do we show love as God has, has loved us? That's, uh, that's pretty tough. Uh, Christ died to show his love for us. And... That's, uh, that's pretty tough. That's a pretty tough standard to live up to, and it's something I have to work on on a regular basis. Um, we're going to go to Ephesians 4 and verse 23 through 27. And I found it amazing that Brother Bowie used this same verse this morning. I've had this message for a couple of weeks. And it seems to happen that way. I don't, I don't know either. I follow you and, and use one of your verses. Now I'm going to use Brother Bowie's verse without even knowing it. So we're going to look at the sound mind that's found in 2 Timothy 1.7. We're going to expound on the sound mind. So we're in Ephesians 4 and verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye put on the new man, which after God 
is created in righteousness and true holiness. I found the study on the old man and the new man extremely fascinating. Um, how that we're new creatures in Christ after he gives us the power to become the sons of God. So we're going to pick up in, in verse um, 25, there in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, wherefore putting off, I'm sorry, wherefore putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let the sun go, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. I've had so many people tell me that it's a sin to be angry. And I'm amazed how the world tells me about a book that they haven't read. And the last verse we're going to look at in this uh, chapter is uh, which Randy Bowie talked about this morning is in verse 27. And it says, neither give place to the devil. And when I first read that verse, when I read the Bible through, I'm thinking, how do you give place to the devil? And that's where I don't want to be. That's right. Amen. So don't be unaware. How do we avoid giving place to the devil? How about occult practices? What's your astrology say? Read the stars, Ouija boards, and witches. Oh, she's a good witch. I don't read that in the Bible. There are no good witches. Even the TV show from way back when, Bewitched. There are no good witches. God does not approve, and God had harsh penalties in the Old Testament for witches. Um, avoid mind-altering drugs and alcohol. Uh, since we now have recreational cannabis, we don't call it marijuana anymore. We're going to clean up the act and pretend it's okay because it's recreational. You're distorting your mind. You're opening up doors that should not be opened um, I believe it's a gateway drug. Sure. People are foolish. Uh, you want to give your mind a break, go sit by the lake or something. Grab a fishing pole. Don't do drugs. That's right. ridiculous. People are always searching in the wrong places. And I am fully aware, which several lost people have brought to my attention, 1 Timothy 5.23 Use a little wine for the stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. We have AA, Alcoholic Anonymous, we have that for a reason. People abuse alcohol. They're not using it for their infirmities. They're using it to dilute their mind. It's an escape tool for them. So please, please don't quote me my book, and then abuse it. Um, I make people a guarantee. You will never become an alcoholic 
if you don't take that first alcoholic drink. So many people think they can handle it, and thousands and thousands of lives are ruined, families are destroyed, kids are left without fathers or parents because of alcohol. There's, you could try to hide behind that verse. I'm not ashamed of the Bible, and I'm not ashamed of that verse. But it's abusive. And you're not using it for the right reason. And it will bite you like a like a like a snake. Um, now, a verse I really do like. We're going to turn to in James four seven, which I believe actually Brother Bowie talked on this morning also, because it goes right along with Ephesians four twenty seven. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't need a knife and a shield and a sword, although, although I have them, uh, to resist the devil. All you have to do is resist him, and he'll leave you. I, I find great comfort in that. I used to work afternoons on my job, and we would get off at 11 o'clock. And every Friday, they would say, they would mock me. And they would say, go straight home. And they're going to the bar to drink alcohol and get drunk. So who's the loser? I have a home and a loving family, and you're going to the bar and diluting your brain. I would tell them, if you had at home, waiting for you. Like I do waiting for me, you'd go straight home too. So the point being is don't cave to peer pressure. And I see adults doing that as, as much as I do the kids. Um, my mom had three kids, and the doctor told her smoking was bad for the baby. So she quit smoking for a whole year, every pregnancy. And she told the neighbor across the street, her buddy, that she couldn't smoke because she was expecting this child. But as soon as the kid was born, one of us, um, she went right back to smoking. And she smoked for 45 years. And she quit when she was 65. I don't understand that. But the point being is, she could quit. It was peer pressure. Her friends smoked. It was popular. It was socially accepted. Even though the doctor had told her it was bad for the child. It's bad for your lungs. It's not good for you. There's warning labels that you're doing, and you're spending money to kill yourself. So the point I'm trying to make here is don't be unaware to peer pressure. If it's, not, if it's not in the Bible, if it's not biblical, if it's, not, if it's forbidden to um, damage your, your temple of the Holy Spirit, then maybe we shouldn't do it. And it's a choice of the individual. It's the will that needs to be 
submitting to God. Um, in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. And that is one thing that we should do is before we get into something is try the spirits. What, what's it all about? Is it, is it good for me, bad for me? Before we just jump into something to follow the crowd. Now hear the message when you thought you kind of had this message figured out. We're going to kind of do a twist. And I'm going to give three examples in the Bible. Illustrations. And then I will, um, wow, it's late already. Um, and then I will ask the question, and then I'll be done. Um, we've concentrated a lot on fear in, um, in First Timothy, um, because I kind of wanted to get to the main part of the message, which I'm going to try to get through this quickly. I thought I would have too much time. Um, so it says that we should be trying the spirits to see what sort they are. And so we shouldn't be fearful no matter what the Bible has illustrated for us or no matter what comes our way in life. Like David, we should face the fear. So I'm not going to turn here for sake of time, but we're going to get into an area that scares a lot of people, and it, it shouldn't. There's nothing in the Bible that should, should scare us. We've got God on our side. Satan can't do anything to us without his permission, being his children. And so therefore, I take a little more liberty and give these three examples. Um, Matthew 8.16 says, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed the sick. So obviously, if these people have characteristics and behavior that would demonstrate that they are possessed with evil spirits, they bring them to Christ, then obviously their behavior must have been rather radical. It must have been bad. It must have been terrible. So in this verse it says many were possessed. And what I really like is he casted out the evil spirits with his word. Um. Let's turn real quick to Matthew 9.32. This really won't take too long. And then I have one more illustration I want to go through. And then I'll get to my point. Matthew 9.32 says, And they went out, behold, and they brought him a, a dumb man possessed with a devil. So now this is just one devil as if that's not too many already. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake and the multitudes marveled, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. So first of all, you can see 
that it was a man that God healed his speech and he could speak, casted out the devil. And it was such a miracle that they, it's recorded here that they had never seen such a thing in Israel before. Verse 34, and the Pharisees said, he cast out devils through the prince of devils. And this particular uh, chapter in 9, Matthew 9, it does not tell you who the prince of devils is. But Matthew 12, 24, it does tell you who the prince of devils is. And the prince of devils is named Beelzebub. And God knew their thoughts and said, I thought it was pretty dumb of the Pharisees to think that Satan would cast out his own from a person. That doesn't make any sense. They were just being critical. That's all the Pharisees were doing, which they normally were. And he knew their thoughts and said, if, if um, in verse 26, if Satan cast out Satan, is he not divided against himself? So the point I wanted to bring in this particular section was uh, Beelzebub. Do we remember the Smurfs, the cute little cartoon characters that had the character in it named Beelzebub? And the wicked cat? So Hollywood through cartoons, they're trying to get your kids. Don't be unaware. We need to screen what our kids do on the internet. We need to screen what the kids watch on TV, what they listen on the radio. Um, cartoons are no longer Roadrunner and Bugs Bunny. Um, what's up, Doc? It's not about what's up, Doc. It's about indoctrination. Um, if we could go to uh, Mark 5.1, and I'm rushing, but I think we can do this in the next six, seven minutes. Um, this particular illustration was about the maniac of Kadera in 5.1. Um, that's what it's typically nicknamed anyway. Uh, in verse 2, it says, And when he, talking about Jesus, came out of the ship, immediately there came out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now this is only one unclean spirit. But we're not done here. Verse 3 says, Who had his dwelling among the tombs. That should already sound terrible. And no man could bind him no, not with chains. Where did this guy get all of his strength from to fight off those that were trying to bind him in the tombs? I think that's pretty evident, the unclean spirit. And always, day and night, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Right. And he said, and he said unto him, um, come out of out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he said, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this guy, this poor guy, 
How he got them, it does not say. There is many illustrations in the Bible of people that succumbed to evil spirit or devils. And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the devils besought him, saying, send us into swine that we may enter into them. And the power of Christ here in verse 13, it's, it's just incredible to me. They asked permission to leave, to go into the swine. And Jesus, and forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits, plural, went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran down violently, uh, ran violently down into a deep place in the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and the legion. This guy really got whammied. He really got overtaken. He was sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. He was in his right mind. Second Timothy 1.7 said to be of a sound mind. He became a sound mind after Christ released him. Then he became a, um, a sound right mind, and he was clothed. Verse 18 says, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might come with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and had compassion on me. This man in this illustration had great outward um, agony in his life. He was in pain, he lived in the tombs, he was cutting himself, crying all the time. It was totally obvious that this guy um, had surrendered to the wrong forces. He had surrendered to Christ. And my last point, um, talking about don't be unaware, um, we're going to briefly discuss Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, who's mentioned in all four Gospels. And for sake of time, we won't go here. I was going to, but we'll skip this, um, turning to it. Uh, John 670 and 671 says, Jesus answered them, Have I not chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. The first thing that struck me, here Christ knows that one of these disciples is not for him, directly against him, evil, and yet he's a disciple. That doesn't faze Christ in the least. Christ knows he can overcome and control him. So usually people, when they choose a, a force they, or a, a group, they usually try to get people that are for them, not against them. Deacons, 
whatever um, committees, they usually try to pick people that are like-minded, people that will get along and people that will support one another, and yet Christ lets this guy in, and he was none of those things. Um, if we could turn very quickly, and I'm almost done, I promise. John 13, 2. Talks about the account of Judas Iscariot. And we're getting close, very close to my final question for the audience that maybe you can help me with. Give me some insight. John 13, starting in verse 2, and said, Supper being ended, the devil being put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Talking about betraying Christ from verse 1. Jumping down to verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whom whosoever I, I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. 21. When Jesus had thus said, his spirit was troubled and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. 22, and the disciples looked one another, doubting of whom he spake. You got one of these, you got Judas Iscariot being a devil. And the disciples are doubting which one is it. That wasn't the case in the other three illustrations I gave. There was obviously outward um, evidence that the person was not correct. They weren't together. They were on the wrong side. Verse 24, Simon Peter therefore beckoned him that he should ask who, who it was. I'm sorry. That he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. 25, then laying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? Simon Peter doesn't know who it is. The disciples didn't know who, they, who it was. Jesus answered in verse 26, He it is to whom I shall give a sop. When I dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, doest quickly. Verse 28. Now no man at the table knew they were unaware. They did not know. No man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some thought, for some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had sent, had said unto him, buy those things which we have need of against the feast, talking about the Passover in the beginning of the chapter in verse 1. We have need of the feast or that he should give something to the poor. He then receiving the sop was immediately out, went immediately out 
and it was night. Um, I've heard several people say, God cannot use me. I've done too many bad things in my life. And yet, to go through with God's will, he used Judas Iscariot. That, that boggles my mind. I, I, don't, I don't get that. But he knew he would be betrayed, he would be betrayed, and he used Judas. So my final question, and we're done. I apologize for going over. My final question is, why did no man but Christ know that Judas Iscariot was possessed with a devil? The evidence of those possessed from the other previous accounts in Matthew and Mark were overwhelming. And yet the apostles did not know. So if you can have, if you have any insight on this, I would uh, appreciate it one-on-one. -on -one. And I, I don't get it. I would think if somebody had something that evil that you would immediately know. They knew in the other three accounts. I, I don't understand. So after we're done, if any of you have any insight, maybe at a later time, not even tonight, uh, that would be great. I would, I would look forward to some input. Um, Tony, you want to come? Altars are open. Great message, Lord, by Tom. Yeah, it's something to think about, that's for sure. Um, I said it would be different. It was. It was good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We'll sing one verse tonight. We won't extend it too long. If you have a need, this altar's open. We're going to sing, the only way I know that demons can be cast out is through the blood of Jesus. I've seen it through the years. I know one evangelist in particular, three other preachers used to bring demon-possessed people to him, and they would be cast.